Ah, it's good to be here. I'm finally getting in the groove because I'm letting the caffeine roll. I was telling the uh, earlier service that I've finally come to the dark side and become a morning person because our little baby girl absolutely demands it when she gets up in the morning. And instead of, you know, that annoying alarm clock, now we hear, da-da, mama, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. So it's a, you know, it's a more gentle alarm. It's allowed me to go over into, you know, being the morning person. I've really been blessed by the summer series. I've really enjoyed the topics and just really been challenged by the speakers. Plus, I got to see Pastor Marty last week run around in a Phantom of the Opera costume. You know, I mean, there's, there's something of that that you kind of take away with, so I've really enjoyed it. Um, and what I want to bring to everyone today is I really sat down, and as I thought about a life worth giving, I really sat with the word giving. And we had a guest speaker, Libby Vincent, who really talked about giving and the concept of generosity behind it, and I really enjoyed that. And I, and I couldn't get away from this word giving. And, and as, as I sat with it for a while, I said, you know, there's a concept of giving that is born out of generosity, and there's an element to it where it's kind of easy for us to do, and we have the resources for it. Also with that, there's an element of giving that's sacrificial, where it costs us something, where it's painful to actually do. And you know you're going to do it. You know you need to enter into it. You know you're being called maybe or moved by Lord to give something away. But it's going to cost you a little bit. And it's a central theme to our faith, to our walk with Jesus, is the concept of sacrificial giving. That's exactly, obviously, what Christ modeled for us on the cross, is the cross is the symbolic representation of sacrificial giving. It's a gift, but it cost everything. And you know what the interesting thing is that there's this cycle that occurs with sacrificial giving where as the cost of that sacrifice, it births freedom and healing. And I want to investigate kind of that cyclical nature of sacrifice where the pain of sacrificing or things that we must deny within ourselves or the sacrifices that we give to people around us or to our children, that out of that, can be born freedom and healing, and then that allows us to live a life that is worth giving. It allows us to continue and give it away to someone else. So the sacrificial part of giving, we can actually hand that over to other people, and then they can take that and hand it over, and it becomes a life of itself. And Jesus talked about sacrifice, and the way he felt about it, I have it here in your handout. I really feel that this, this verse struck me. Matthew 16, and this is Jesus talking about sacrifice. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So there's, there's Jesus himself talking about the cross, which he's about to enter into, about this concept of denying ourselves something. And I'm not trying to suggest anything legalistic here. I'm not trying to say that there's this oppressive sacrifice that we always have to be sacrificing and giving everything away. I'm not saying that. But there is an element of our walk, daily, daily walk, of denying certain things within ourselves so that healing and freedom can be born forth and that we can hand that over to other people. And what I want to do is I want to look, in that, look at that cycle in three contexts. And, I, and I, these three contexts are kind of if you combine them all together, they represent my life. One is life experiences. And as you can see, maybe from the glare in your eye, I'm kind of gaining those life experiences. The second one is more from what the Word of God has to say about this. And then the next one is movies, because I am a movie freak. 
Um, I am actually, I have to admit this, I've got some members of my uh, close community here. So my wife is here, so I, I, I feel really supported in just confessing this and getting it off my chest and laying it out in front of the convocation. I am a science fiction super freak. So there, I've said it, it's off my chest. In fact, I changed uh, careers. I, I was uh, training to be a, a stockbroker in another life. And I said, you know what, this stinks. I really want to do something with movies. It's my passion. So, you know, I was really blessed with an opportunity to come out to California and work on episode two, Attack of the Clones, which hopefully not many of you people saw because I thought it kind of stunk. But anyways, <laughs> most people thought that I got a chance to come out here and work on Star Wars. The reality is, is I came out to California to get geographically closer to Arnold. <laughs> now, we all have idols and role models in our life. And I thought, if you were a, a sci-fi super freak, Obviously, who's your role model in life? Arnold, the running man, predator. I mean, you know, gosh, Conan, hello, Conan. I mean, he's just, and, and I just, I just see myself, you know, I just idolize him. I thought, you know, when I was 14 years old, I snuck into Predator. And it's this really cool sci-fi story that takes place in the jungle, and there's this alien who goes on these cool safaris, you know, to hunt things from different planets. And of course, you know, who can stand up to the invisible alien predator? Nobody but Arnold. <laughs> you know, and I just keep replaying the scenes over and over again. And I even talked about it last night. I talked about Predator, and I went home, and I was looking through the channels, and there it was. <laughs> and I went, yes, Lord, this is confirmation that I can speak about Predator. In church, yes. And so I hear in my mind all the time, I hear when Arnold is trying to lure the predator in, you know, to, for his trap that he set, and I hear Arnold all the time, kill me now, I'm here, do it, do it. You know, and he, he understood the concept of sacrifice Arnold did, he was gonna stand against the predator and he told everyone to run away, but he said, run, get to the chopper, do it, run. And so, I, you know, I just love that. I have to say, I've spent a lot of money on sci-fi. In fact, when Arnold's movie, um, The Sixth Day, where he got cloned, you know, a movie ticket is about 10 bucks. I gave 20. I'm thinking, two Arnolds? Here's $20, I'm so excited. And I was just waiting for the scene where he sees himself, hey, you, no, I'm you, no, you're me. I'm here. Wow, look at you, you're huge. So are you, really, yeah, I am, it's huge. Let's go kick some clones, yeah. So I actually love Arnold. And I, and I just feel like I need to get off my chest and confess that I have a problem, because I even wound up watching Predator on the Spanish channel. <laughs> Sat through the whole thing. I was trying to translate, Ryan, get through the chopping, you know, and, and eventually I learned how to say, kill me now. It's, matame, matame, kill me. So I'm, I'm a science fiction freak. And as Pastor Terry alluded, you know, I'm, I'm, that is kind of what I've been blessed with being able to do. But the movies that I work on aren't really huge in the substance category. So, you know, alien robots that, you know, turn into cars and then turn into robots and back to cars. These are the kind of movies that um, I wind up getting involved in. But I've always searched, and, and, and the people that I work with, we always look at movies with, with real messages and substance. And what we try to do is we try to find things or movies or characters or elements or dialogue or storylines that relate to the gospel in some way, some allegory, something that might be saying, you know, even if you take, you know, the movie Superman, here comes this guy, you know, he's got superpowers, he lands on the earth, 
you know, and he's there to say, you know, help everybody out, you know, and eventually he, he becomes human, you know, I think it was in Spider-Man 2, I mean, uh, Superman 2 becomes human, you know, to do that. All these, all these cool things, and one of the movies that really hit me, hit me really, really hard was Saving Private Ryan. See, when I was growing up, most kids were trading baseball cards. I was either trading, like, you know, points on Star Trek ship, you know, hits and sci-fi stuff, um, but I was also really into the military. And I, I think I have the military channel on my, on my thing. And there's just something about um, the idea of what soldiers do in sacrificing for, for ideals, like freedom. And it really hit me when I went to go see that movie. And, and I just saw this interesting kind of allegory to our Christian faith, is that here's this, this main character, played by Tom Hanks, is walking along the French countryside after D-Day. And their mission, he gets a, a band of brothers, if you will, with him, and their mission is to go save Private Ryan, James Ryan. Well, he's the last brother of five brothers, the last one that's, that's alive. And so they need to get to him before he gets killed so that the bloodline of the, of the Ryan family will continue on. And the interesting thing is that in the end, Tom Hanks' character gives his life away. He gets shot and he dies. And I thought, man, that's so, that's just powerful. As here, here he is leading this band of people. The mission is to save somebody. There's, there's, some, there's some connection for me in my faith about watching this movie. And, it, and I, just, I was watching it recently and I was reminded that the occupation that they chose to give him was teacher. Could have given him anything else, but here's this teacher walking across to save this person. And the last two minutes are really where the impact comes, comes for me. And, and it's Private Ryan's character is now an elderly gentleman, and what he does is he's going back to Normandy. And he's trying to find the grave of Tom Hanks' character to just pay his respects to him. And I want us to watch a clip, and, it, and basically I want us to understand that there, there's an element of how this man chose to live his life, how he chose to respond to the sacrifice that was given to him and offered to him. And then I want to talk about, through some life experiences and other stories, about how we, as followers of Christ, are supposed to respond to Christ's sacrifice and to give that away. with you, I, I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, 
I've earned what all of you have done for me. James? Captain John H. Miller. So that, that clip for me in cinematography and, and in film history is, is one of the central themes as far as how I view how movies can really relay concepts that are biblical in nature, that are Christian in nature, in fact. And here you have this man who is in front of a cross, the symbol of sacrifice. And he's saying, I hope that the way I've lived my life has been a good response, has been worthy of what has been done for me by what you guys did. And you know, the difference between what you hear there and, and what we get from, from the message of Jesus is that there they're saying, well, you know, I hope that I earned it. I earned it. And you know what? The greatest thing about the cross is that we don't have to earn it. It was done. It was full in its completion for us. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's an element of freedom that we should have in that. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But it doesn't absolve us from the response to it. And that's what I want to focus on, is what our response is to that sacrifice. And, you know, I want to, I, I mentioned before about these different contexts, about how I kind of view the world, and there is my movie context, and I want to talk about a life experience context. And it's actually not my own, it's actually my mother's. And th what I want to kind of get out of her story is that there is definitely a cycle to sacrifice, that though pain comes out of sacrifice, that we can get out of that and we can transfer healing and freedom that we get from out of sometimes Christ's sacrifice or the things we need to sacrifice ourselves and give that to other people. In fact, as you saw in that movie clip, he brought his family. If he died, there would be no family. And there's this generational implication that happens with sacrifice that can happen through it. You know, my, my grandmother was diagnosed with MS, or so we thought. And when Lee and I had our baby girl Amelia, I thought, you know, I really should kind of connect with my family and see if I, I've heard that, you know, MS, which is a really nasty degenerative disease, if it could be transferred away. And, and who knows if it could be with Amelia or with me, and how do you manifest itself? How does it and so I went up calling my mom, and we had a long, long talk because 
She said, well, it's pretty timely that, that, you, that you called because we just found out that there's a different medical condition that's going on. And um, we started talking about it. And it turns out that my grandmother never had MS, but she wound up having this very, very rare disease that caused lesions on the brain. And that caused her to really act incredibly erratically and irrational and cause deep, deep depression. And unfortunately, one of the byproducts of that was that um, there was a very abusive relationship between my grandmother and her daughters. And I kind of knew this before, but my mom just felt I really need to share what really happened in my life. And I just broke down and just wept when I was listening to her because I never knew how serious the physical abuse was and the verbal abuse and that there was just serious abandonment that occurred. Was at the times that my mom was not being abused, my grandmother, unfortunately, was kind of in a vegetarian state because of what was going on with this disease, and no one knew it at the time. And so she basically was, when she wasn't being abused, she was being abandoned because there was no one there to care for her. And I just thought to myself, how does somebody who has that upbringing and those experiences, how do they transform into this gentle, sensitive woman of God how does that, how can that occur? How does that transformation actually work? And I said, Mom, I, I need to ask you a couple questions. How, you need to tell me how you got to where you're at. And I don't want to hear any Christian cliches. I don't want to hear, you know, I did this. Or I want to know the truth. What was it really like? How did, how was this overcome? And she said, well, that's one of the reasons why I thought we should talk, because I know that you're going to be talking a little bit about sacrifice and giving your life away. And I said, well, tell me, what did you do? And she said, you know, when you and Jenny were really small children, the, the pressure and the fear and the terror of turning our home into an abusive home was so much, so overwhelming that I just couldn't bear it anymore. And I just felt that I was destined and the doom of that destination that we would just generationally repeat what had occurred in my own childhood was just too much for me to handle. And I was just starting my walk with Christ at that time. And I remember the day where I just collapsed. Everything physically within me couldn't handle the pressure anymore, and I just fell on my knees. And I just said, God, I don't know how to do this at all. I have no idea what it takes to be a mom I've never had one in my mind. I have no idea what it takes to raise kids and to not to turn this into an abusive home. And you know that I don't want any of that for myself or for my children or my marriage, but I honestly don't know how to prevent it. What do I do? And what she realized at that point in time is by giving it up that she felt that every single time that the fear of repetition the terror that would consume her, that she's doomed to repeat what had occurred. Every time she had a tendency to want to do things like that, that she would fight it, that she would deny those tendencies, deny that fear. And that is the part of sacrifice that I'm talking about. Not this legalistic, we have to deny ourselves to where we're just, it's just a crappy life. That's not the message of Christ. The message of Christ is freedom and life, life abundant. But sometimes to create that abundant life, we have to take an inventory of what occurs within us, what needs to be sacrificed. And sometimes that's very painful. And she said for many, many years, it was a struggle. 
And I mean not a struggle like tug-a-rope struggle, life or death on the line struggle for her to resist the fear that she would just turn into that kind of a mother or that she would one day have an abusive home and what would happen to Jenny and I? What kind of lives would we lead? Would we lead? Especially now that she had this knowledge of what Jesus has done and the freedom from that. And the interesting thing about it is that as she worked on it and as she tried to, to get healing and to just overcome these fears and deny and sacrifice parts of her and to sacrifice fear, is that she wound up going back to school when Jenny and I were a little bit older and she wound up getting her master's degree in psychology. She wanted, and she opened up her own counseling practice and she specifically counseled people who came from abusive homes. And she counseled people she with substance abuse. I mean, you name any kind of you know, thing and my mom knows all about that stuff. It's her passion. But what she did is she wound up saying, you know what, if this is what God has done in my life and the sacrifices that I've made that I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to give that away, my knowledge of that to other people who are struggling with the same thing. And so what has happened is that there's this, this wheel of, of time and, and this cycle of sacrifice that's happened. Is that the moment she decided, I'm going to sacrifice my fear, to sacrifice my unbelief that I'm, that I'm going to not be able to prevent this from occurring, I'm going to sacrifice all that. And every time it comes to challenge me and looks me straight in the eye, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny it from ruling over me. And that was painful. And then what I'm going to do is, because she had success in that, she's going to encourage other people. And she would sit down with people day in and day out, and she would help counsel them to work through their experiences. And I thought, isn't that interesting, the pattern? That there's a pattern of what Jesus did the same for us? Is that here he was, he was abandoned by his friends, so he understood abandonment. He understood being abused. He was physically abused. He was verbally abused. He understood that. He was able to relate to my mom, and she knew that, and she took comfort in that. And then through his painful, painful sacrifice of the cross, she gained her freedom. She gained her healing. And so there's this aspect of giving our life away and living a life worth giving that sometimes takes painful sacrifice. And again, I'm not coming and trying to say that every single day has to be just horrible. I'm sacrificing this thing and it's painful. But there are things that God asks us to sacrifice. But what com the purpose of it is not to be in pain. The purpose of it is so that eventually two things can occur. We can have freedom in our life and healing and then take that and transfer it to other people and to learn how to give that away. And so there's Two things that I think we can take away from this, that as we go into our week and into the months and the next year, that I'm trying to keep in my own mind, that I think we need to understand and know as we walk our daily walk. And one of them is, do what my mom did, is say, I have to take an inventory within myself and say, I have no idea how to do that. I'm terrified that I'm going to repeat that. And it's say, what are the things within me that I need to sacrifice so that I can bring healing and freedom in my own life and in the life of the people that have been brought into my path by God. And the second thing is that we have an absolute responsibility to take the knowledge of what God did in the sacrifice on the cross and to be able to let people know that out of that painful sacrifice that they can have healing and freedom.
And the scriptures speak to this. If you look in your handout, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, it talks about how we're entrusted with this great responsibility. It says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. The secret things of God, the secret things, the things that basically here is this element of how do we give our lives away. There's a responsibility to think about giving our life away. And it might not mean death, but it just might mean things like fear, what challenges us, our patterns, our past, our habits, whatever we might need to sacrifice, and that we have a responsibility to let people know. And how do you do that? How do you let people know that? It might be in a prayer, a smile. It might be what my mom did with counseling. I don't know where it is in your own particular life, but I do believe that we have a responsibility to live a life that's worth giving. And I want to tell a story about an incident that happened in our life that really talked about giving something away. And I want to relate it to this scripture. In January of 1982, in Washington, D.C., they had the worst blizzard in their history. And there was an Air Florida flight, Flight 90, that was on its way to Miami. And as they were sitting on the taxiway about to go on the runway, they decided for some reason not to de-ice the plane. And so as they took off, Shortly after takeoff, the weight of that ice on the engines and on the wings caused the plane to stall. And the plane came crashing down and hit the 14th Street Bridge, killing people instantly that were on the bridge, and went right in the depths of the Potomac, cracked right through the ice. And five people popped up out of the water. Everyone else was dead. And as the rescue helicopters came, you know, there's obviously an element of time because of how cold everything was with hypothermia. And here comes the Coast Guard helicopter, and they would lower down the life preserver. And there was this man, no one, no one could get his face or see exactly what was going on, but there was this man who every time the life preserver came down, he would grab it and he would put it on someone else and then send them away. And then the Coast Guard helicopter would go away, drop them off. Then they would come back, lower the life preserver, and he would take it, and instead of saving himself, he would put it on someone else. Over and over again, he put it on someone else until when there was no one else to give it to, the helicopter finally came back and he was gone. And when they finally dredged everything up and they, got, they recovered the bodies from the bottom of the Potomac, there was one body that had water in its lungs. And that's how they were able to identify this man. His name is Arland Williams Jr. Probably a name that you haven't even heard of. But he exemplifies and, and showed practically living a life that was worth giving away. And he took that life preserver, and every time he had an opportunity to hold it for himself, he instead gave it to someone else. And as I, as I read that story, I was just so impacted, and I said, there's something about putting this life-preserving knowledge and placing it on people and putting it over them as kind of a covering so that they can have warmth, and healing and get out of those death-marked, dark, icy, cold waters that might be consuming them or enveloping them or coming up, up to their neck in their own life. And that we have that life preserver in our knowledge of what occurred at the cross and that there is a responsibility that we have it and what are we supposed to do with it? And he knew what to do with it. He knew that it wasn't for him to keep. He knew that it was for him to place on others. 
and to wait till the opportunity to do it again and to place it on the next person and the next person. And that there is something to be said about the people that have come across our paths. And there's this, this concept that I want us to kind of take away that, that has impacted me about placing that covering of life preservation over people in our lives. And that we have this knowledge of what, of what God has done in our own lives. And that might take us first initially sacrificing something painful. It might take us, you know, dealing with the habits that challenge us in our, in our day-to-day lives. It might take dealing with relationships. It might take just dealing with anxiety and fear, like my mom had to, and coming out of that. But we have this life-preserving knowledge. And I think as we, as we go forward in our lives and our weeks, that we just think about how we can place that over people. And it might be just in a prayer. It might be in a smile or it might be in sharing our faith with people. It might be doing an act of service, or it might be just trying to get over the the things that have occurred in our past that really prevent us from moving forward and serving others. And that's just the challenge, is that here we are, we have that. How do we model not only Christ, but how do we model what this man did practically in in this crazy time of death surrounding him, and, and he knew he was going to die, but he decided to save other people. And so it's just an important concept, and I thought that it was an interesting cycle that we should share. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have our time of giving. We're going to ask the band to come up, and I'm going to pray. And and what I want to just pray over is that we think as we go forward that we, in giving our life away and living a life that has this concept of sacrificial giving, not not a bad kind of concept, but one that can bear fruit, freedom, and healing in other people's lives, and that we know that we have this life preserver within us, and who can we cover with it as we go throughout our day and our week ahead. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for providing us with the cross and giving us, Lord, the opportunity to not have to earn anything, but just to take your gift of sacrifice. Help us, Lord, with this knowledge to cover people that you've put in our lives with prayer, with just sharing our faith, with a smile, an act of service, whatever it might be, so that we we can continue the cycle of sacrificial giving. Help us to look inward, Lord, at the things that you might be calling us to sacrifice, even if it might be painful, because we know, Lord, that from that, you're gonna bring healing and life and freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.